0: Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome to Movie of the Year, the only podcast on the internet that has the science and the screaming to figure out what is the single greatest movie of any given year. This season we are doing 1985 Important to point out that it is not 1984. It is one year better than that. That might come up <laughs> later. My name is Ryan, and I will be your host. I am going to lead two random people that I found on the street. Hello. Through eight. A... <laughs> Hello. <laughs> okay, both of you are named Steve. Steve's, I need you both to shut up. All
1: right. Uh, <laughs> ho.
0: I'm going to lead them through a brutal, competitive debate slash discussion about the merits of the film Brazil. Woo! The f- the first Steve is named Mike. Mike, how are you?
2: I'm good. I'm glad you said film Brazil. I did do a lot of researching on the Band Jets to Brazil, but I can do this too.
0: Okay, good. Uh the name of the movie is The Name of Other Things. So hopefully that joke will pop up a lot. And then uh what is the over under on amount of times that uh we do like I give this three Brazilian stars, that out of four, that's the most stars that any movie's gotten. Let's oh, go to because it sounds like other I love it. You love, so you want that as much as possible. Yeah. Okay. Making good. Make that a Gre- drop. Greg, what do you think? I
1: would never use these low-hanging fruit jokes, Ryan. I care too much about comedy and our show to make any Brazilian jokes, Brazilian wax jokes, nothing like that. I won't. I okay, will not yeah. be doing no, that. I know like definitely a wax that. joke
0: tops. Uh, Greg, real quick though, based on that, um, do you get? Do you understand the band? blink-182
1: I do understand the band blink-182 Ryan. I You do. Yeah. I really do. Okay. All right.
0: There's there's no reason why you wouldn't understand them.
1: There is zero reason I wouldn't understand them. Cuz they don't talk like normal humans.
0: <laughs> so, gentlemen, let's start uh let's start big. Let's start overall. Um overall feelings on Brazil. What did you think? Did it rock your asses or did it gently put your balls to sleep? <laughs> uh i guess of those two
1: it gently rocked my ass to dreams uh the first time i ever saw a little bit of this movie i was uh, a young shaver and i saw the part where in the cooling tower where he's like wearing the baby mask and he's gonna start uh, uh and so that deeply affected me and then when i was like probably like 15 years ago i saw what i think is like the studio release of this movie and i was like not prepared for how weird it was. I was not prepared for, you know, how unusual the whole like feeling of it would be. This time was like the time I saw Brazil. Like this, I felt very in tune with this movie. It's the director's cut is the one that we watched. It's become like that. Right. Ryan, that's become like the version that people talk about.
0: Yeah. I think the one, the first one you were talking about is called the love conquers all version. Uh Um, Which is sort of, yeah, they did put it on. The (laughs) Pinterest version? They did put it on. They did release it on Blu-ray, but, I mean, the title is ironic. Like, it's 40 minutes shorter, and it has a happy ending, which we'll get into later. Um, It's basically the movie that Hollywood wanted Terry Gilliam to make. Um, The director's cut is 40 more minutes. And then there was the actual theatrical cut, which... I it, I think it's 10 minutes shorter than the director's cut and nobody really talks about it anymore. It's either the di- uh, director's cut or Love Conquers All.
1: Yeah, and so this was like the first time I, I really felt like I had seen it and it was 100% like the type of movie I want to be watching. Like it made me think a million different things. It reminded me, it, it strikes me as like kind of like a nexus text. It references so many texts that come before it and it is so heavily referenced itself. That it sits, Mm. like, at this very important, like, crossroads in popular culture.
0: Yeah, I think right there was Star Wars. You know, like, Star Wars is everything that came before it, and then it is everything that has come out since then. And this this
1: interfaces with Star Wars, too. Like, he definitely saw Return of the Jedi. There are several shots and, like, creatures that come directly from Return (laughs) of the Jedi.
0: I mean, the whole building is filled with Ewoks, so for sure. (laughs)
2: C-3PO just stumbles by and goes, oh my.
0: (laughs) Mike, you you were a Brazil virgin, yes?
2: Yeah. uh, This was one of my big sci-fi blind spots, and all I knew of it was 1984-esque, and a friend would go on a habitual rant about everybody thinks they're Sam, but how can we all be Sam? But now, so I thought it was going to be a very normal dystopic, probably closer to what the Love Conquers All thing is, and watching it, I was like, oh, that was a misreading, or maybe you watch the Love Conquers All because there's no heroes in here. Nobody yeah. should want to be Sam, nobody should want to be anybody. Uh it was way more uh thought provoking than I thought it was gonna be. And just I fucking love this guy's style of directing and how you can touch every grimy piece of everything. It was awesome.
0: Yeah, and uh I mean not only does it feel like you're in there, but also uh he like it's jam it's purpose it feels purposefully jam-packed with as much stuff as possible. And that's such a go-to knock for us. Usually we're like, you're trying to do way too much. You're trying to put too much in the frame. And you're trying to do too much in the script. And we hate it. So uh, you tried so hard and we hate it because of that. And this to me just, I think that's there. Like it does have everything and it does try hard. But I can't believe the success rate this this movie has. Yeah,
1: it's very neat and meticulous. Like for a world that is... Um, machines constantly breaking and nothing quite working and wires spilling out of open panels and everything. The movie itself is actually very neat and kind of like there's no, there are no extra parts. There's nothing left over from this movie. It all enters into the equation of like what the the message is. That doesn't mean everything gets explained, but uh, every little like cutaway ties back in some way, you know, like the opening segments of, uh, Mr. Helpman like speaking on the TV and that explosion explosion and the way that sets the pace for everything that's going to happen in the movie after that.
2: Yeah, it does an interesting thing. Modern movies certainly don't do. And I was trying to think of other ones where the first 15 minutes is only world building. I kept playing the who's the protagonist game. And Uh he just doesn't show up for a while because you're just getting to know all these other things and how the world works. Because then you don't need to do an exposition dump. Sam Lowry at no no point has to be like, yes, boss, as you know, (laughs) this is how this works. Uh, Because we just get to watch normal people kind of go about their lives beforehand.
0: Or if if we do see the protagonist, it's not him at all. It's his superhero dream version of himself. Right. The uh, then, Icarus
2: yeah. Bowie version of Sam Lowry.
0: Icarus Bowie, yeah. Uh, okay, so that's basically our feelings in a nutshell, a Brazilian Oh, nutshell. my goodness, we- Ryan. Give yourself a point <laughs> for that. Thank you so much. Ryan. And then, Greg, to you as well. Um We're going to take a break, and then we're going to get into uh, as much of the nitty-gritty as we can. I think that this is an impossible movie to talk about over one episode. Um, We're going to try. So I think, audience, get ready for the three of us just screaming nonstop and definitely not listening to each other.
1: Well, that is very, very funny. Or very sad. And perhaps now you have something to think about. Or very problematic. And perhaps we have something to think about. But in any event, I'm sure you have some reaction to what you're listening to. So why not check us out on the social media? You can go to Instagram or Twitter and find us at your pop filter. Email contacts at your pop filter. Hey, everybody. Keep watching them movies.
0: Brazil. Originally titled 1984 and a half, based on some obscure book writer-director Terry Gilliam never read, and co-written by Tom Stoppard and Charles McCown, is the second in Gilliam's trilogy of imagination films. The trilogy all focus on the craziness of our awkwardly ordered society and the desire to escape it through whatever means possible. Brazil is a complete fantasy. It follows Sam Lowry, a man trying to find a woman who appears in his dreams while he is working in a mind-numbing job and living in a small apartment. Bureaucracy controls everything, the police kill on a whim with no consequences, and the rich keep living their bougie lives despite the evidence of gross class disparity and near constant threat to terrorist attacks. It's nice to watch a film that really takes us out of our day-to-day horrors. Taste buds, I ask you this. What does Brazil add, if anything, to what we think of dystopian fiction?
2: I think it adds the. Especially now that we're watching it like nearly 30 years later, it it's the It look outside. It is happening right now. Like this is so (laughs) dialed like one sconch. Normally it's like at least 10 sconches to the right to get to dystopia. But this is so eerily close to what we actually live through. It's fucking bananas.
1: One thing I think it adds to it is, I mean, obviously the the movie's primary influence is 1984. I don't know if Terry Gilliam was tongue in cheek saying he never read the book. I know he has said that. Um, I think sometimes we have directors say so much stuff about movies uh, and it's not clear like what you should and it should not mm-hmm. interface with but certainly 1984 is in a zeitgeist uh, and so people probably know what goes into it but it is 100% like set in a very similar universe what it brings that's different though I think is the the banality of evil angle of it the how boring and dull uh, the state of and the state apparatus really is and then suddenly punctuated by these moments of intense violence mm-hmm. but most of the part the violence is just this Grand. suffocation of minutia and paperwork and officials and bureaucracies and all of those are layers of things that are in between you and the sources of power and so you were all you're just you're kind of smothered uh like in the end you were literally like smothered and disappeared by paperwork and so is resistance against the state apparatus because it's easy to push back against violence really it's hard to push through just the morass of a boring city council meeting
0: yeah I think that a lot of dystopian stuff like this it blames it on us like we got so obsessed with uh, pop culture or social media that we turned into zombies Mm -hmm. um, and then the government dealt with that but this is this is so much clearer like uh, we we want the boredom or the government wants the boredom and the violence will be caused to keep the boredom. Like if there's anything that disrupts anything, we're going to jump in there real quick so nobody notices and then maintain this boredom forever, forever, because right. it's just easier that way.
2: Yeah, because you can exhaust people by making them run to different offices, filling out the same paperwork and like, no, you got to go to that one to get that signature and then keep them scared by the threat of quote-unquote terrorists and you never know if it is terrorists or not. Just to be like, okay, well, I know they kind of suck, paperwork sucks, but who knows what that could be, so I I just want to get home and watch my weird magnified TV. And and not deal with any of this.
1: The administration in the book 1984 is brutally efficient. And that's part of what's so terrifying about it. And I think Gilliam looks at that and thinks, but that's just not people. Mm -hmm. Like that's not like the Soviet authoritarianism was not hyper efficient and really good at what it did. They were blunderers and they blundered through everything. And so even when this state is oppressive and in every single part of our lives, in our dreams and in our like very thoughts, they don't do it in a good way because they just absolutely suck and they're cartoonishly evil. And so it like right. that's the the part of the dystopia from this world that I really like, which is just they do a bad job with it. It's <laughs> it's yeah. a poorly run dystopia.
2: That most people are, quote, unquote, can think of the cells of innocent except for, like, Jack. Except for Michael Palin's character, you don't see anybody else and the cops doing violence. So everybody's like, well, not me, but everybody knows about it. Each department has a different word for death, so nobody has to say Uh death. (laughs) Uh, And that causes more problems because Sam's first, whatever office he works for, has no idea what he's looking at until he realizes, oh, they call it death this, they call it this, they call it this. Uh We're fine, he's dead. So by that point, he's just relieved the guy's dead because they don't have to do more work.
1: <laughs> the thing it, it it plays off of, uh, as that 1984 talks about, is in 1984, it wasn't enough for the state to control your body. The In 1984, the state has to control your mind. And mm-hmm. so they're constantly working to reshape your beliefs because the state is aware that you can go retreat into your mind and be safe from it there. And it can't allow that because that, ki- that type of freedom has to be extinguished as well and i think that this book or this movie really builds off of that because that is sam also tries to run away he runs away into his his mind so many different times and the state pursues him there and maybe right. even on deeper levels than in 1984 right.
0: but like i mean sam does have freedom in his apartment he's free to show off his hobbies he's a film fan so he has posters up that says Movies are good or classic <laughs> cinema. There's one that just says <laughs> classic cinema.
1: Well, okay, but aren't you a fan of classic cinema, right? I am,
0: and yeah, I want to show that off to people that I have heard and watched of classic cinema. I it's want funny that in- to
2: replace scarface posters in dorm rooms.
1: I love the way that they show that he is not free in his own home because, like, you still feel like we still feel like we have that luxury. Mm-hmm. What's so efficient about this movie or what's so brilliant about this movie is the things that you could critique and Mikey brought this up, the things that you could treat critique about the way he lives are true of our own life, but just in a different way that we already accept. And so this movie yeah. makes us, we look at what's absurd in the movie, but we accept something exactly the same mm-hmm. in our own lives. So in the way that like he he's, he has a TV in his apartment that he doesn't seem to be able to control. That's very 1984 that you have a TV, but like you don't decide when it goes on or off. We have like that same influence in our lives when we go to like, a gas station gas pump and it just a TV just blares (laughs) at us. And there's no way to like possibly get away from it. And
2: there's a, he can't do any of his own home mechanics. Like that's the, the initiating thing is he gets in trouble because somebody fucked with it. And you'd be like, Oh, that's at least I can do my own. But I know there's a homeowners association. Who's going to get mad. If you put up a basketball hoop and they said, you can't like there, there, there are different subtle ways that real life is here.
0: Yeah. Uh, Yeah. Well, I mean, not even subtle. I, I, Literally can't fix anything in my own home like that. Right, that one really spoke to me. What am I gonna do? I didn't want to throw but you under the I, bus. <laughs> I do have the like. At least I have the freedom to choose who comes over to fix it, though.
2: Do you? Is I there a small not, no. list?
0: Uh, we've said a couple things. Uh, like we've said future and we've said sci-fi. Um, but do you guys think that this is the case? Is this a science fiction movie? And is there anything actually futuristic about it?
1: I think it's not. I think it's more alternate dimension Mm -hmm. um it it feels to me like 1985 but just in a different place than um, the america of 1985 from our world Uh, i know that he was notoriously or he is notoriously prickly prickly about people saying that this is a movie about the future because it's not it's kind of like i think he has said anywhere in the western world in the 80s and it it i mean it, it is made of it's a dreamscape of the 80s and so in that way there are futurist aspects of it but it is certainly very much the the right. ethos and the feeling of nineteen eighty five.
2: Yeah, I guess it could be whatever the depressing version of magical realism is. Because like yeah. it's easy to say sci-fi and you're like, well, the, the bowie stuff and he fly like there's stuff it is just to the left of what's real. The baby masks, like even if governments are evil, the torturers uh don't wear baby masks. (laughs) They just wear like balaclavas uh, and then get everyone should be wearing
0: masks right now. Oh yeah. Everybody should be wearing that baby mask. mask That's (laughs) what you got.
2: But it's, it's hard to like, I guess we could just say it's like a dystopian satire. It's just, that's such a close cousin to sci-fi. So I think it's easy to get lumped in that way.
0: Yeah. I think, yeah, I think that's it. It's just like a quick label that bothers him because he's, probably a bit of a dick but uh for the three of oh, us I just sure. wanna, <laughs>
1: and because you I, never as a creative person you never want to get hit with the sci-fi label if you're not firmly trying to be sci-fi mm-hmm. that's like margaret atwood she never wants to be called a sci-fi writer because you get you pigeonholed, you know you get stuck then with that label
0: um but the other thing too is that uh he talked about a lot is it's like when you look up what people wore in the 60s you see a picture of a hippie mm-hmm. and that was like three percent of the population for like two years but it represents the entire decade um it's sort of like this movie has all of the 1900s you know like every decade uh you know they if they dress like the 40s um it's and you know there is a lot of like early industrial age or later industrial age stuff it's if you're 300 years from now looking up what the 1900s were like yeah, right. this is what it would appear like, you know. So like, let's just take a big swath, and here's here's all of it.
1: It kind of reminded me of uh, Batman the animated series, mm-hmm. you know, like there are aspects of it that are technology that we they we didn't have then, and then everybody is dressed like they're from the 40s, and the car this a lot of the like aesthetic elements seem influenced by 40s or even like the 20s art deco. Right? But yeah, like, you'll have a, a fedora and you'll have a
0: smartwatch. Yeah. yeah.
1: <laughs> And that timelessness of it is one of the most powerful parts of the movie, I think, because uh, I really feel like without saying that this is just a picture of 1985, it becomes a very good picture of 1985 while also being timeless in a way that, yeah. I don't know, like uh, the more, I know it's early in the show, but the more stuff we say about it, the more it sounds like it's checking off multiple boxes mm-hmm. in the what do you need to do to win movie of the year. To say, to be timeless <laughs> and 85 like that's that's the hard thing to do for movie of the year, right? Is to get both of those things. A tale as old as time, but then also something that like really it works with just that one year as
0: well. What is the ism that Gilliam is scared of the most? And Mike, do not say Jism. <laughs> It'll be funny. I'll laugh. I'll give you you know what I'll give you a point. But uh <laughs> Of, all the, uh, of all the of all the isms that we're supposed to be scared of, like what is the one that you think he he's going to blame on our actual real life dystopia that we're living in
2: complacencyism? I don't know what the realism is for that, but I do think it's it is with what the greg used a great phrase the banality of evil like everything you're just kind of bored by everything so you don't fight cuz it's easier to not fight. I'm fine with that.
1: I would say uh maybe this is like a like a such a basic like freshman in college answer, but like it seems like capitalism to me and like the the other movie of the year movie that we talked about when when uh or in conjunction with brazil is um shit what's it um sorry to bother you uh Mm. and sorry to bother you was like definitely aimed squarely at capitalism i think this is too though the constantly running the constantly jumping through hoops the Mm -hmm. fact that when they're torturing him they're like offering him credit options and it's like don't worry about your life worry about your credit rating yeah
2: yeah the Minister of Information is trying to get people to pay for their own imprisonment,
1: uh, yeah. <laughs> uh,
0: yeah, yeah, and medical and, tokens uh, are gifts <laughs> yeah aren't you don't you feel special that you get to go to the hospital and also you have to keep the shitty job so that you can live your shitty life you yeah know? that feels very real, and now I think that we're you know like one step before Brazil in our real life, where I think that. You know, they say that capitalism does work, and it's so much better than communism, um, and then that just leads to fascism. And I don't know if this is a fascist movie, but, like, we're right there. We're we're watching capitalism turn it into, right? Well, I yeah. definitely think there is a lot of fascism in this movie. There's,
1: fasc, fasc, like, a ton of fascist iconography, and it makes me kind of wonder if it's a, supposed to be an 85 reality where, like, Starship Troopers style, like, where the Nazis won World War Two and this is England— and it's kind of op- occupied by the Nazis because the, certainly the, the like, police look that way. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a lot of like Golden Eagle iconography sprinkled throughout things. But, but
2: isn't, I, I think part of the, the genius of that and part of the dumbness of all of us as a, as a society is we're like, well, that's fascist. This is communist. This is capitalist. The great thing about fascism is <laughs> it can creep into any other ism. And people are like, "No, this is capitalism." But it it is fucking Hydra and Shield. It's there. It's been there the whole time. And I think it's it's doing current modern day America like a real compliment, Ryan, to say we are one step away from here, and not just looking out and be like, "Fuck," I think we might be here. If you list off everything from just the last couple years, and it's gone longer, I think we are here.
1: Well, the thing, uh, like, very obviously missing from our current predicament, and missing from the substance of this movie as well is like racial conflict mm-hmm. because I think we've done it. I think we have our first ever movie of the year movie where there are literally zero people of color, like not in the background of any shot. I don't think there is a single non-white person in this entire movie. And to, to, try to like talk about capitalism or talk about the eighties or talk Mm. about England or talk about the Western society and to not have any component that deals with race to, in fact, like take it out of the equation by not having it be something that exists like sort of in the fabric of the reality of the movie. That's something that I don't think we can totally ignore. Like there is something going on there.
2: Yeah. I I wonder because like, I think Gilliam who's probably a prick, but is a thoughtful guy, I I think this might be a very eighties, nineties, 10 years ago, take on it. It's like, well, I don't want to talk about that. That I don't know if I can or I don't know if it is, so I'm going to remove it entirely and thinking that's staying neutral. Uh, yeah. And it's not staying neutral. You're just erasing people. Well,
0: I think that when you think that, I think that th- that's fucked up in its own right, and then also you have no idea about what the next 35 years are going to bring mm-hmm. and how mo- how much more egregious it'll look now. You know, like, back then it was sort of like, I don't know if it was a bu- business decision, but it was a common decision. It was one where a lot of people were saying, like, I don't even want to get into it, so it's totally right. fine if I have a completely white everything. Right. I and just listened to now the, it's worse.
1: the Song of the South, uh, You Must Remember This. I just listened to that whole, like, miniseries or whatever. And that's yeah. literally what's going on. I've noticed it in the movies as we've watched them, and I've, I've been talking about it. And Hollywood's always had a diversity problem, whatever. But the, the movies of the 80s, specifically because of, like, social u- upheaval, of the movies in the late '60s, early '70s, like the black exploitation movies, there became this real attitude in white movies: like better not to bring any of that stuff up at all. And if you could not have, if you didn't want to have complex characters of color, and that's really what what white Hollywood didn't want to do, then it was like, well, since you don't want to have a stereotypical character of color, just don't have any, don't have either. Like right. just just only use white people.
2: So with that, we're seeing the banality of evil. On the, yeah. outs- on the outside of the movie <laughs> as well. It's not just about it. He was doing it accidentally too. Unless right now he's like, no, it was meta. You guys got it. You were the first ones the to finally th- get what I was that's doing. That's
1: the thing, right? Because in this movie, the mo- part of the point of the movie is that just by existing within the machine, you're part of it and you're part of its functioning. And so mm-hmm. everything it does, you are culpable for because you help the machine run. And so, you know, as I what is it, the Black Parade? You know, you're just another cog in the murder machine. Like you are actively, even if all you do is file paperwork, if yeah. people on your behalf are shooting at people across the sea, you're part of it. You know, <laughs> like you're culpable. You make it run. You make it work.
0: Well, I would love to do another easy ten minutes on this, <laughs> but we have clothes to talk about. <laughs>
2: Thank you for listening and for your support. If you want to support us more directly, go over to patreon.com slash your pop filter, pick a tear, shed a tear, get some extra stuff. There's extra shows, extra long shows. Uh, you can make Ryan draw you pictures, make me write you a poem. There's all kinds of stuff over there. You could even get a shirt off our very own backs. That's patreon.com slash your pop filter. We also want to say thank you to Shady Monk for providing all All the tunes you hear on this show. Check them out on Spotify, Bandcamp, SoundCloud, wherever the kids get their music that I'm too old to know. Check out Shady Monk. Back to you, Greg.
1: Mount Rushmore!
0: That's right, it's Rushmore. We are uh, trying to get through, trying to figure out exactly what it was like to be alive in 1985. I'm not sure if Brazil helped us out a bunch or sort of didn't (laughs) yeah uh probably less than back to the future which takes place mostly in 1955 this is a weird season um what we're gonna do tonight is we're going to um dedicate a rushmore a four-headed mountain but instead of four presidents we're going to do the four most 85 things about fashion now you guys were both superstars in college in 1985 uh, both tied for best dressed every single year. You two were in college together. Oh mm-hmm. yeah. So this is a bitter, bitter rivalry right now, right? Were you of guys course. friends, or did you guys scream at each other?
1: Uh, I think it was like a Salieri uh, yeah. Mozart thing. Yeah. Where I was Mozart, and and Mike was kind of like, for people who were not in the know and didn't understand fashion, they might be like wowed by his cheap parlor tricks.
2: Oh, see, I thought it as like I was the cool thing. Like everybody saw me dress. They saw you dress later right so i i I made it for like the real punks they were there at that one show nobody was at and they all don't even know what mike is saying
1: i invented ball out pants uh when people talk about going hard they say they want to ball out but i designed and manufactured the pants where your testicles come out the front yeah that'll get you thrown in jail (laughs) that was a big fashion that's i'm not going to put that on the 85 mountain because i have to admit to myself it was not that big but it was if, if, if Mount Rushmore had all the presidents, then there'd probably be room for my nut sack pants.
0: And I'm so sorry. We do not have time for this. But with your nutsack sack pants, you said that it's not that you walk into the party with them already out. It said that they will come out. Like, is it a, at a surprise <laughs> moment? Do yeah, the pants know when the best moment is?
1: Yeah. Uh, there's like a little pocket that holds your boys. And then there's like a little string that you have. And when you pull that string, the balls are, for lack of a better word, unfurled. Uh, and they will drop through the the ball hoop like a and, tongue in a horny wolf's mouth. <laughs> See, and now that, you're balling out.
2: Those are fun, but the the, the later iteration that was like a jack in the box. So you don't even know when they're going to come out. Yeah. They just <laughs> the, the pants <laughs> just have a timer somehow controlled.
1: A lot of job interviews got ruined by those pants. <laughs> we had to we had to recall those. That was a shame.
0: The fashion of 1985. <laughs> Mike, there can only be four. We're going to start with you. This is your opportunity to get a Slammy D, which is short or long for Slam Dunk, and get a (laughs) point. Uh,
2: I I think it's... Celebrities always... It trickles down. What they wear in one music video becomes the common fashion, and lacy stuff uh, on the outside became huge. Specifically, I'll call out lacy fingerless gloves were fucking massive in 85 because... Uh, Madonna wore it all the time late '84, and then it took a while, and people were like, "Oh shit, I should dress like this too."
0: What? And is, it's awesome. Is, that, is it like a like a corpse bride thing, or like an 1800s? Like, yeah, you know, rich you know what it lady? Is, Ryan? It, I'm gonna I'm gonna throw
1: it over to me, Ryan. Uh, it is because the '80s were crazy about layers. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was really um, Back to the Future that made this clear for me. When the characters are in the eighties, they are—they look like when Joey put on all of Chandler's clothes <laughs> on France. They're just like they like look like the Michelin Man. They can hardly keep their arms down because they're just covered in so many layers of clothes. So you're gonna need one of those layers to be like lace, right? Because it can't just be layer after layer of velveteen. Ooh,
2: fancy,
0: Mike. I'm gonna give it to you, but I'm gonna change it a little bit. It's uh, it's just the fingerless gloves. So whether it's lacy or leather, they were all over 1985. For some reason, your palms get hot and your or your palms get cold and your fingers get hot, and you just need the fingers out.
2: Somebody predicted touchscreens; it just took 30 years to get there. But they're like, we're gonna have to remove them.
1: I have poor circulation, so I need the opposite of those gloves. I need like just the fingers.
3: Yeah. (laughs)
0: Well, I'm sure you can make a friend in 85 where you guys can cut up gloves and go about your way. <laughs>
2: Dude, this is such a good deal. Finger condoms. <laughs> were, there, were they like
0: NBA ripaway pants where yeah. <laughs> like did the fingers come off and get put back on?
2: Yeah, but they are. It's a screw system, so it is hard. You've got to thread it perfectly to get it right back on. Just
0: there. hang on. I'm unscrewing my fingies. Back to Brazil. Uh, Robert De Niro opens up the the panel. Yeah. At Sam's house with that big long pushy screwdriver. Is that's that a real so thing cool. or is that the future?
1: I think that's a real thing. I, I think because you have like the tools, whole ac- guys. The whole action of pushing it down powers it like a drill. And so I think that that's how that was working.
0: It takes awesome. one second.
1: Yeah, I dude. And then you're just in the panels inside your house.
0: Greg, 85 fashion. What are you doing here?
1: So I said layers, Ryan. The, like, when you. Or a character in a movie in 85 that's not set in another time. You're wearing like an undershirt, a t-shirt, a sweater, a sweater vest, <laughs> a jean jacket, a life jacket, and then like a lacy shawl. It's just like every... And it's that is like a unisex thing. Both Both genders are just absolutely covered in layers of fabric.
2: Do we forget how cold it was then, just because global warming has made it so fucking hot now?
0: You and then, needed like, those layers. The sex scenes, like, is that why eighty-five sex scenes take so long? Mm-hmm. Yeah, they just gotta like strip each other one thing at a time. So they're like, I don't know, like, have there be
1: sacks and a lace curtain fluttering in the in the wind as they slowly strip off layer after layer? Is that what you said when
0: you invented your balls out pants? Let <laughs> yeah, there let sacks. there be sacks. <laughs> <laughs> they're uh, called my sack slacks. I. I think that I don't know if it's specific to eighty five, but eighty five was definitely peak layers. You know, mm. like the layers will change throughout the years. Uh eventually it'll and we talked about this on probably our ninety seven season. Uh the layers will become like snowboarder undershirts, the thermals with a polo on top. Oh yeah, sure, that's a crazy and then work. a second polo on top. Uh <laughs> but no, we're doing layers for sure. All right, Mike, we got two. You getting nervous. What are we gonna do here?
2: I'm gonna drill down. This is layers, but it's a very specific layer, so I hope that it's uh garishly crazy colored patterned leggings and leg warmers they wouldn't look good alone let's put them with something else that looks equally bad with them so like purple sheer sheen leggings and then like cheetah zebra tiger mashup leg warmers on top so it's just like oh is just your ankle to your calf cold here you go
0: do you guys remember those books when you were kids where like the whole book was split into thirds And so it would be, like, the head of a monster, the Mm. body of a monster, and you could just, like, flip through and create your own monster. That's how everyone dressed in 85? Yes. Uh, There is one specific word, though, that I'm looking for, Mike. There's one thing that makes one of these layers, whether it's the leggings or the skirt, stand out. You had to have a little bit of... Neon. It's neon, Uh. yes. I think that if... As long as one of the things is neon... yeah. Uh, and I would hope that it's the tights because that's what your knees are on. Uh, then I think that that really is eighty So five. I'm I gonna put that on the maybe pile.
1: Eighty five was peak leg warmer, and then uh, there was a brief resurgence in, in like the stripper catalog in like the early 2010 era.
0: It's the things where like it's basically giant leg socks, but then there's yeah. a there's a strap at the bottom that your foot goes in.
1: I don't think yeah. there has to be a strap. I don't think there has to be a stirrup. I think it could just be kind of like those pencil covers that you would get that would like be squishy and, and make the pencil easier to hold. Oh, like yeah. It's, it's good on your finger. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it
0: gives you less of a callus when you're practicing cursive. It
1: keeps your calves warm. Everybody had cold calves.
0: All right, Greg, what's up?
1: Weird random parts of people's bodies were cold in the 80s. <laughs> like, oh, gosh, the lower parts of my fingers and my calves are absolutely freezing. <laughs> but my feet and my toes are hot as hell. Uh, at this time again, this is like I think we see sort of a coming together. Uh, genders are like sort of like after the seventies, like still a little bit like closer together in the eighties, and so um, big suit jackets with really big shoulder pads, mm-hmm. uh, were like for everybody, including NBA players. Uh, watching that recent Jordan documentary, like even all the way back in eighty, uh, the eighty-five season. Guys are wearing they're big dudes, they're like seven feet tall, and then they're wearing a suit that's like for somebody ten feet tall. And it's so baggy. And then in that bagginess, you would have just this huge shoulder pad. Women included would wear a jacket with like basically stuffed shoulders so that everybody looked like they were just like absolutely like linebackers.
2: Yeah, well women's were like pointy. They almost look like Rita Repulse's head in the Power Rangers. That's what women's shoulders looked like.
0: Some cool yeah. shoulder armor. <laughs> They would put that uh, football gear on and then put like a nice blouse over it yeah. and then say, I'm ready to go to my job. And then yeah, the jackets, uh, I just watched the talking heads documentary. Stop uh, making sense. Stop making sense. And he just he fucking triples down on it. Yeah, <laughs> dude, he's the <laughs> biggest jacket in history. Because
1: that's how big you have to make it to satirize that that fashion. Like to for it to be obvious that you're making a joke, your suit has to be bigger than Michael Jordan's and that's fucking tough to do.
0: All right, I'm going to gonna I'm gonna go with, just to make it the most 85, I'm going to go with shoulder pads.
1: Yeah. Yeah, Ryan. Do that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Press the button Ryan. that says Greg.
0: <laughs> Mike, what do we got?
2: Uh, I got to go with, I'm going to try to drill down and be super specific. Not only was acid wash denim huge in this era, but it's acid wash jean mini skirts. Uh, we're giants. I want this to be. Very short, very tight, and look like fucking garbage. Oh, you thought that was a cool deep blue? No, we ruined it with chemicals, and now it's splotchy and white.
0: And Greg, you got one more.
1: Okay. Um, so, this is a little... We're gonna move a little bit. We're gonna go uptown with this one, uh, because the 80s like banker and trader fashion became a thing that we were all aware of. And the I, emblematic, you know, the, the slick back hair, the suspenders. But I think what's going to ta- what's going like, to make it stand for everything is French cuffs. Uh, and also, I wanted the chance to tell this story, which is people who don't who are not fancy don't know that to use cufflinks you have to have uh, French cuff shirts uh, that don't have already the button in the the buttonhole, and instead you use French cuffs. And a lot of people do not know that because they are not as fancy as Wall Street big league types.
2: Apparently as fancy as you, you braggart.
0: <laughs> uh, which I am. Uh, okay, so our maybe pile is neon in general, leg warmers. I say with the syrups. Um, Acid wash skirts, and they got to be short. And <laughs> French cuffs. And so I am going to – I'm going to give you the point for this. Here is your fashion Rushmore of 1985. We've got – who are the presidents? Of
1: 85, Ronald Reagan. (laughs) Probably just him, right? Of
0: of Rushmore, you dildo.
2: (laughs) George Washington.
0: George Washington wearing fingerless gloves. Lincoln? Lincoln wearing lots and lots of layers. Jefferson. Jefferson, giant shoulder pads, that dude. Teddy
1: Roosevelt. Fillmore. Oh, Teddy Roosevelt. (laughs) (laughs) William Henry Harrison. Fillmore
0: was, if there was five, it was going to be Fillmore. (laughs) And Roosevelt wearing a lot of neon. That is your 85 Fashion Rushmore. When we come back, let's talk about Brazil, maybe? Thank you. Throughout the movie, we get a glimpse at Sam's dreams, where he plays an angelic Bowie-esque superhero who fights samurais, or I guess one samurai, and rescues a woman that looks exactly like Jill. Jill. Every time I see this movie, I am surprised—not mad or disappointed, but surprised at the amount of real estate the movie gives the dream sequences. Why do we think they're in there, and why is it such an important part of the movie?
1: I think the dreams are the whole point of the movie, um, and I don't think that you, I don't think you develop that understanding until you have seen it, the dream until you've seen the movie more than once, um, and you certainly have to see the d- the director's cut for it. But we watch his dreams progress from one of unfettered freedom both dreams he has at night while he sleeps and his daydreams of like sort of flying around above it all and flying in nature uh and then we see that transform as he starts getting like bogged down with the problems and the conflicts of the movie but i think ultimately what the movie shows is that his dreams are an escape from the brutality of the authoritarian existence and then what is in debate in the entire movie is is he truly free in his dream states because at the end of the movie, what's going on as he's being, like, tortured is the state is pursuing him down deep into his dreams and deep into his mind, and he keeps on trying to escape them, and they keep breaking through more and more of the fantasy. And then finally, at the end of everything, they say he's just crazy. He's, like, catatonic, mm-hmm. basically, and they say he's ultimately free, that that's the truest freedom from the state is these, is pushing all the way through fantasy into a sort of catatonia or, like, insanity,
0: yeah, Greg, I'm going to give you a point for your point, but uh, also I'm going to say that you just leveled up, so here's that. <laughs> Beca- because you started that whole thing with uh, in order to understand the dreams, you have to have seen the movie multiple times knowing for a fact that Mike has not. <laughs> so that therefore, was... he he cannot speak on any of this. That's a
2: real dick swing. Uh, yeah, I guess I didn't get it, so let's move on to the next question. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I think he's, there's elements uh, of uh eternal sunshine and the matrix in here or really they are lifting elements from this because the, the dream chasing that the whole half hour uh think about it more because i was like okay when does it stop being real so much earlier than you think if i go back watch it and watch it again i'm like oh his fantasy started 20 minutes earlier than yeah when sure. i realized and it's it is a happy ending, which is funny that the studio made a, have to have a happy ending. It's just a fucked up, sad happy ending, because the only time he is free is when they have to give up on torturing him, because they're done. It's but the that's, un- isn't it's, it the it's,
1: uncut, gems like, it's like, uncut
2: gems ending? It's uncut gems ending? It's. I would be Cypher. <laughs> Shoot him with a smile. We would all be Cypher. We would all red pill, because why would you want to live in that disgusting, desolate place? You'd be like, no, I want to live where it, it's make-believe, man.
1: Yeah, I want. It, I want to live with my dreams and my flying around. And I mean, at the end of the movie, she basically goes in. She takes him into his own fantasy, mm-hmm. and that's where he's going to live. And he is now far away from the brutality of the state. But that's obviously that's a very terrible answer, right? We shouldn't. Oblivion is not really any sort of. Freedom. Right,
2: but that's. It, I think it's so interesting. The the Icarus Bowie of him is is like a true looking hero, but and so in a normal movie he would become a version of that in the real world. But the whole point is Sam is not a fucking hero at all. He is a milk toast right. worm of a man, and Jill at, is
1: at, not like uh, Jill is not an object to be one Right. When whenever they're in, in the it... <laughs> oh damn, I fired that one. up you punk rock that shit. Yeah. When, in his dreams, um, she is always sort of, like, naked and covered mm-hmm. in, like, diaphanous cloth with long flowing hair and being like, Sam, save me. In reality, she is saving him all the time, and he is actively trying to participate in his salvation by, like, shoving her and trying to take control of the truck. And yeah. everything he does is always actually terrible and does not yeah. help them in any way at all. Well, well, let's
0: let's get to that later. Let's. What about this? What about the fact, like, do you guys, let's chicken or egg this. Do you guys think that Sam is happy in his life because of the dreams? Or do you think that uh, the dreams do, do the dreams come first and allow him to go through his life? Or do, does his life make the dreams happen?
1: Can you yep. be happy me- well, while mentally you are in a dreamland and physically you are imprisoned by the state? Yeah, I think that's the question. I don't think it gives an answer. I think it gives us that question.
2: I'm going to posit that having had times in my life where sleep was the best part of my day, you're not in a good place. <laughs> like, yeah. that, that is n- nothing is going
1: well. when you're just like, oh, I'm going to lay my head down and then not be here. Uh, Ultimately, what he's escaping from is he's escaping from doing the same thing that uh, Tuttle is doing. When you dream uh, of and you use that avenue to escape the authoritarian regime, what you are doing is actively not opposing it and you're mm-hmm. acting more like an element of it than any other time. You the yeah. only thing you can do is resist. Really, that's the, and it's that there are a lot of consequences with that, but you can't escape to a mental realm. It re, this reminds me of like the movie, do you guys remember the movie Pan's Labyrinth? Mm-hmm. That whole thing is like about a little girl trying to imagine her way out of the Spanish Civil War, but like you're not going to do it, you know, eventually the guys with guns are going to come and get you. And it's not an escape to just dream and to just think of, uh, uh, you know, of better of a better mm-hmm. existence.
0: Well, yeah. she also does that too, like to escape her incredibly abusive household. So it's this form of, you know, like dealing with all of the trauma around you. Yeah. Which in Sam's is less obvious. It's less like physical, but it's a type of trauma, I guess. Greg, you mentioned yeah. Tuttle. Can we? Can you explain who that is? So uh,
1: when his air conditioning stops working uh when sam's air conditioning stops working he calls in to like central services because uh, this is like the state is everything here so the people that are going to come fix his ducts or whatever are agents of the state but they do not come but instead someone has tapped his lines and it's he almost seems like a freedom fighter Mm -hmm. this guy this character tuttle uh but all he does is like he he works on the ducts and the wires in a freelance way rather than um, working for the state. So he's like, he's the only, as, as far as I can tell in the movie, he's the only truly free spirit. Whereas Sam dreams of flying, Tuttle literally like repels down things. He is like the real deal. What what Sam dreams of being, Tuttle is in reality.
2: And that's if Tuttle is real at all. Because Well, if any of this is T- real at Tuttle- all. Tuttle... Uh, was supposed to get got, but they actually got a guy named Buttle. that kicks yeah. all this off. And when he tries to give the money to Buttle's widow, and so I could see a reading of this where so Tuttle's just in his head, and it's not just when he's asleep; he daydreams all the time that all of this starts to conflate. Because especially the second time we see Tuttle is he is when they're running, and he gets covered in paper. And then the third time is when he saves Sam from the torture chamber, which never really happens. So like, is Tuttle ever really there?
1: I think and I. I think that's a dangerous game to start playing with like with you know how much of the movie is real or isn't real. I know it's mm-hmm. there's it's inviting to do that, but I think that starts to it starts to become like Tuttle himself blowing away in the wind.
2: I, yeah, I think I think Tuttle might kind of be his Tyler Durden and that a lot of the stuff Tuttle was doing Sam was just doing but he's too weak to think he can do it.
0: Well, I mean, Tyler Durden in that like he's imaginary like Sam's broken brain thought of him or in a different way where like he Sam just can't help but like look at an idolized Tuttle to uh, a degree that's probably unhealthy but uh, this plumber or this handyman is living the fucking dream the government (laughs) has made it so that this guy is a hero you know and the government has also made it too. this goes back to the uh, capitalism leads to fascism thing Uh, they've made it so that Tuttle didn't become a terrorist and like start launching bombs. Tuttle did the same things he always did, but the capitalism to fascism made him a terrorist. He's right. still just fixing ducks, yeah. you know. <laughs> and the way that Sam, I want to talk about the way that Sam looks at him. Like, is it? Does he idolize him? Does he care? Does he just think he's a plebe? Does he is he healthy? Is it well, is one the relationship healthy? One
1: thing that's really interesting is obviously the song Brazil, very important to the movie, right? Uh, the name of the movie and re- it gets repeated over and over again. The first time Sam hears it is Tuttle is kind of singing it to himself as he's working on the ducks. And that's what I think sort of like radicalizes Sam. I think the song then starts to become um, emblematic of like freedom of Mm -hmm. like this uh, opposing the state because it's that's the that song then like exists within him forever. And he's humming it, you know, in his like near catatonic state. At the end. So yeah, I think he what he sees in Tuttle is like, here is somebody who has gotten himself away from the state who does what he wants, when he wants, uh, who like pops up at one moment and then tears away. But like everything else in this movie, he's deeply flawed. I'm not sure why he comes into this movie. The first thing he does is point a gun at Sam. Like, there's, not, there's no real traps. reason. Because traps.
2: It could be a trap. <laughs> he said they've tried to set traps for him before. That's I true. want to see a whole spinoff all about Tuttle, because this version of Robert De Niro I fucking loved.
1: Yeah, dude, this we... was, I thought this was good De Niro. I thought he did, like, a good job in this movie, being something different than we get to see from him all the time.
0: Is the, is the, is the spinoff called Duck to Tails? Yes. Woo-hoo! Also, do you uh, notice
1: that um, Tuttle is, like, a revolutionary plumber in the same way that Mario from Mario mm-hmm. Brothers, is a revolutionary plumber. And
2: Mario oh himself God. was in this movie?
1: Mm-hmm, yeah. <laughs> but
2: Hopkins. not
0: Luigi, so I don't even know if it counts. Mario Mario, but not Luigi Mario. Um, the thing about Tuttle, too, compared to Sam, is that did Tuttle have a job that he couldn't do anymore when central services came, and so he decided to continue doing it anyway because he loved his job? Or does it does it not matter what society is at the time Sams are going to be Sams and Tuttle's are going to be Tuttle's. Yeah, because you
2: know? Tuttle said he worked for Central Services for a while, and then he couldn't like do because the of bureaucracy.
0: But I mean, like, even if it was, if it, it was a lot better, then would Tuttle just? Does he have the personality to be a terrorist? No matter. He said he
1: wants to be where the action is. Yeah, he's like a soldier, yeah. so he's got the personality of a soldier. Which yeah, he wants to be where the action is. He wants to be deployed at a moment's notice. Uh, he wants to u- make use of his specialized skills. It's just then all those things also have to do with duct work in this, rather than, <laughs> you know, necessarily like, attacking.
0: I think no matter what, he would have found special skills that were still just a little bit punk rock. Whereas no matter what society was like, Sam would have always been, yeah, uh, you know, a, a plebeian. A,
2: well, that's the the beautiful weak genius of Sam in the beginning. He keeps turning down promotions because he doesn't want more work or responsibility slash doesn't want to be. He knows the bureaucracy is evil. And he's like, well, I don't want to be part of it. Like He can trick himself into doing that. So to Tuttle out, you have to fully acknowledge how evil everything is.
3: Why
0: didn't he say that when he flew away in his grappling book? <laughs> tuttle <laughs> out.
3: total <laughs>
0: out. Uh, one of the dreams, we have to get to this real quick before we go. Uh, one of the dreams does feature a giant fire-breathing samurai. Um, is that just Gilliam saying, oh, you know what would be cool? Or is there anything else there?
1: Yeah, I it's hard not to see it through the lens of Darth Vader. And let me tell you why. Uh when he fights the samurai and then finally beats it and the samurai falls down and then he pulls the black mask away to realize, to see yeah. that it's his own face. For sure. That and the bot that is just like a big round eye that keeps like poking her right. in the face. It's like, dude, okay, yeah, we all like that movie. Yeah. But you're going to have to find some way to do something on your
2: own. Well, that's why you had creepy baby troll things. And that 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 helps for that part, but I I also think like that samurai like totally Star Wars derivative, but also is him fully saying you are the evil, also
0: to say. And and yeah, like uh, sure, like that's when the mask comes off. But with the samurai there, um, part of the reason why it's a dream is in dreams or movies, and I think that this is an important point too, uh you can have good and evil you can have like i know that i'm the good guy you know that you're the bad guy and that makes this simple um i think that the dreams are in general and specifically with the samurai thing um a way of saying of terry gilliam saying that maybe pop culture is taking over too much of your life maybe it's too much of an escape where you don't worry about the actual problems of the world and we actually do see that throughout the movie not just the fact that uh, Sam is such a fan of classic cinema that he would buy a poster that says so. But also, all of the employees uh, that work for Ian Home can't not get back to their cheesy western that they're watching yeah. every time that he leaves the office. You know, like it's it, pop culture is the drug. It's the it's the escape. It's the vacation. It's the everything that they have. Hell and yeah! Sam is just sort of creating his own. And yeah, no, I'm not. I think it's per- <laughs> the perfect life.
1: And this movie does critique. Um big blockbuster movies, right? They're like the Samurai Fight is also in part because uh, it like that's something that audiences eat up in popcorn movies. And so is like the protracted gunfight at the end of the movie. Like there is like seriously like a 3 minute gun battle where just like people are firing in all directions right at the end of this movie. I think that's also like supposed to be like an indictment of popcorn movies.
0: Yeah, almost to the point where like it's like Terry Gilliam daring people to come up to him like I dare you to come up to me and say your favorite part of the movie was the samurai part. <laughs> Dude. Like you fucking moron. Do
1: you guys feel like we watched, you know, After Hours a couple weeks ago. I feel like this movie eats after hours lunch. Like this movie has its own long straw and it absolutely drinks the milkshake of After Hours <laughs> because it is more bold and it is willing to like be out there. I feel like After Hours like, couldn't pick one horse to ride, and fucking this movie is like, no, we this is gonna be an absurdist comedic satire and you're not going to come away from it being like, was there something a little absurd in that?
0: But I can also see that where Brazil is like, uh, that it can't also pick the one horse to ride. And then you turn around and look at it. And Brazil is just has a foot on 12 horses, (laughs) just like riding up a mountain (laughs) screaming. All right, guys, good job. I'll do this. Mike. But unfortunately I have to bring a fourth person onto the show. We all know who Descripto is. He's a guy who uh, reviews 1985 movies on Amazon. He uses different names, but we all know who it is. Um, I am going to read what he wrote about movies from 1985. Wait till the review is over. You can tell because I said the word stars. And then uh, buzz in with your name. See if you can guess what the movie is. Does that make sense?
1: I think it makes sense.
0: I literally almost lost my life watching this movie when it first came out. My friend went to see it and told me it was so funny that we had to go. The theater was jam-packed and we had to sit in the front row. I was eating popcorn and we were both laughing so hard at how dumb and ridiculous that it was that I sucked a piece of popcorn down my throat. And when they tell you that when you are choking you can't make a sound, they are right. I managed to lean forward, stick my finger down my throat, and dislodge the meddlesome piece of puffed corn. (laughs) Now... That is how stupid this movie is. It is so stupid it almost killed me. Now that is stupid. One star.
1: Greg. Greg? Legend.
0: That's a good pick, but no, that is wrong.
1: Mike. Mike. Lady Hawk.
0: It is not Lady Hawk either. <laughs> it is Rambo First Blood Part 2.
1: Ah, dang. Need your first blood.
0: Next up. <laughs> <laughs> Next up, Descripto says, This is their first assignment with police that have experience. It's funny and a romance. I highly recommend it for ages over 16. Five stars. Mike. Mike?
2: Police Academy 3. Oh,
0: that is not accurate. Greg. Police Academy 2. It is Police Academy (laughs) 2. Their first assignment.
1: It's so nice with their experience
0: in that one. (laughs) They're not just learning
2: anymore. Give them five stars.
0: All right, guys. Listen, Descripto gets descriptive in this one. Okay. Here we go. <laughs> I have always loved this movie. I always wanted it to call. I always wanted to call it Monty's Millions, as that is the main character's first name, and it sounds better for a title and more memorable. It's such a classic. I feel it is one of those less well-known classics from the '80s. My son is not much of a fan, unfortunately. <laughs> I I am hoping that when my wife and I adopt our future daughters, they will love it. <laughs> Mike.
2: <laughs> Mike. Brewster's Millions.:
0: It's Brewster's <laughs> Millions. Oh I, I forgot to say five stars. Mike
2: <laughs> That was implied.
0: He's going to adopt multiple <laughs> girls
1: <laughs> So they the like the movie. Do you have any do you have any girls we can adopt that' specifically like Brewster's <laughs> Millions? <laughs>
3: no
0: Or Monty's Millions, if they call it that, because that is his first name. All right, why did they go to the same school? I thought this movie was good and bad, but why is he Howell? No, why is he? Why does he? (laughs) I love that because he did not delete (laughs) why is he how. He typed not why is he how, why does he how. What a fun and happy movie. It motivated me for basketball and life experience. (laughs) Yes, watch it, please. He has sex with a blonde girl. (laughs) Overall, I would recommend watch this movie while getting blitzed on White Claw. You can order it on Amazon. The dad is a wolf, too. (laughs) Five stars. Greg. (laughs) Damn it. Greg. Teen Wolf. (laughs) <laughs> it is Teen Wolf. The dad is a
1: wolf, too. The dad is a wolf, That's, too. yeah. Man, that was a tour through Teen Wolf.
0: That is somebody who has seen Teen Wolf. <laughs> I, did like, I did not just read the back of the DVD. All right. Next one. This movie has a terrible plot that is all about spells and witchcraft. I don't let my children watch that sort of thing. Heads up to any parent out there. One star. Greg. Greg? The Black Cauldron. It is not The Black Cauldron. Ah! Good guess. Mike, because that's from 1985. Mike,
2: the Witches of Eastwick.
0: It is the Care Bears movie. <laughs> Next one. Sometimes when older movies are sold, you can get a bootlegged copy, and you can tell it's not legitimate. But this was a real copy. Thank you, and God bless you all. Five stars.
1: Greg. Greg. Summer rental. <laughs> incorrect. Okay.
0: Mike. Mike. The Goonies. It is Mask. Oh. Okay. <laughs> Does that make sense now? Yeah, no, I get it. (laughs) All right, next one. Fun movie. Love the seniors who acted in it. Most of them are dead now. Sweet story, five stars. Greg. Mike. Greg. Cocoon. It is Cocoon. Yes. And yes, that's (laughs) wrong, actually. All of them are dead now. (laughs) Oh, no. (laughs) I I guess it didn't take. Okay. Last one, guys. Mike, I think you got to catch up here. Do you want me to uh, give you a boost?
2: I mean, that's up to you. I, I'm not gonna.
0: It, <laughs> uh, Do you know who that makes you? Colossus. Colossus.
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> I never really appreciated this film in 1985. Part of it was that I watched uh, that I was too young and foolish to understand about nuclear radiation, war, etc. Now that I've watched it again, and because of the vast life experiences that I carry today, I can appreciate the movie quite a bit. I had the privilege of working at the Los Angeles, California Greek Theater back in the early 1990s, (laughs) and on one occasion, I was blessed to have worked the backstage security detail for Tina Turner. Man, what a great woman she is (laughs) in all forms. Singer, manners and kindness. Good memories. Five stars. Greg. Mike,
2: Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome
0: It is Mad (laughs) Max Beyond Thunderdome And Mike, because you leveled up There's another one for you Uh, That was Descripto, thank you so much Descripto For doing all that, Uh, when we come back Let's get back to Brazil
3: Sam, it's time for you to grow up and accept responsibility You'll never get anywhere in a suit
0: like
3: that Yes, yes, yes Sam What are we going to do with you You must have hopes, wishes,
1: dreams. No, nothing.
3: Not even dreams. Oh, I don't know. I don't know what I want.
0: We are first introduced to Jill in Sam's dream. Thinking that she is a creation of his mind, Sam then sees Jill at his work when she is fighting on behalf of her downstairs neighbor who was wrongly murdered by the government. From there, we get a whirlwind romance between the two, as he tries to be the hero that he thinks he might be, and she gets creeped out. How does romance fit into the movie? Does the movie have time for it? And if so, what is it trying to do or say with it? Greg. (laughs) Mike, go ahead.
1: (laughs) I feel like this movie, okay, watching this movie and thinking about it, all I can think about are how it reminds me of other movies and books that I've watched and read. But it reminds me a little bit of Love in the Time of Cholera, which is a story that is, like, supposed to be about, like, love conquers all, love is so beautiful, love explains everything. But like Love in the Time of Cholera, I think Brazil looks at that kind of askance and is like, but does it? Like, what does this guy mean when he says he loves this woman? Um, what, Like, why does she ever go from kicking him out of the cab of her truck to, like, accepting him and going off with him and th- this is when you can start getting into a conversation about like what is real and what mm-hmm. isn't what does it mean that he sees someone who looks just like the woman from his dreams is that because we're already in unreality like we're things are already you know it fa- in fantasy land by the time we first see her here's my guess
2: is that he's been dreaming of a long-haired blonde yeah. woman yeah and he just sees a short-haired blonde woman yep. and then goes, that must be who I've been dreaming of. Yeah. that, And so he makes them the same, but they, they were not at all. And I do think the movie is, so many of these kinds of movies, love does conquer all, and they do find each other, and they fall in love in a day and a half. And I think this movie's going This whole movie, that. he
1: is trying to, like, he does that from the very beginning. Decides not that he literally dreamed of this woman, and now he's seeing her, but that she is that same person as the woman he's dreamed of. And he does that to her the rest of the entire movie where he is Mm -hmm. constantly... And I think that's kind of a critique of love. Do we love the people that we're with or do we love a fantasy projection of them that we have made? And then, honestly, we get pissed off with them when they are not the fantasy projection and instead mm-hmm. are the person who kicks us and pushes us and isn't nice to us. We want the, bullshit. Yeah, we want the long-haired <laughs> diaphanous lady. We don't want the real person. And so that's a, if that's true, that's a huge indictment of love, right?
0: <laughs> I, I mean, I would say for sure that I am definitely in love with my wife. But for you two and your wives, I don't think so. You know? Like, I, I, I just, I'm not sure.
1: I think the whole podcast is in love with your wife, right? <laughs> Nothing awkward about that.
0: But, uh, and then we we have to get to uh, not just when it becomes. There's if if we're gonna try to pinpoint when it becomes fantasy, this scene I think may come just before it or maybe after it. But Mona from Who's the Boss, yeah, Sam's mom, who we have not talked about at all, which is that's crude. Um, at a certain point, does have. Uh, jill's face you know and Mm -hmm. that there's a lot going on right there
1: well that's deep in fantasy land at that point right yeah that's like he is like walking through doorways and ending up in like completely different places like he just stumbles out of that building and suddenly he's standing in the funeral of that one woman i think that's the point at which you're supposed to be like "Ooh, okay this guy
0: death by plastic surgery
1: yeah we watch that lady melt the entire yeah, movie crumbles
2: while her weird retainer having daughter just sadly stands next to her one of you the funniest... her final
0: words though
1: what are they <laughs>
0: so it was so sad
1: i thought her final words were murray, murray, marry me
3: with my money
1: <laughs> I, I love that the um doctor that did the work on that lady that ends up melting actually tries to throw shade at the other plastic surgeon. Uh-huh. Dude, that is so bitchy. When you suck so bad at your job <laughs> that you're melting people, I don't think you should then cast yeah. aspersions at other people.
2: But isn't that just like doctors? Psh, who needs them?
1: I'm not even sure. This movie reminded another movie this movie reminded me of, is Joker, because I'm not exactly sure when we're really seeing Jill. Like, I mean, like how mm-hmm. often he's... Every time Jill is like stopping her truck to kick him out of the cab i'm like that seems like the person that we see early in the movie anytime she's like smiling at him or they're flirting it's like i feel like we're back in fantasy land again it doesn't i mean he comes home at yeah. one point and she literally has long hair and then it's revealed that it's to be a wig there's a but... wig in his bed oh, yeah that's that's
2: so fantasy because yeah she, he says i've killed you because they're making out and then he stops from making out, and he's like, "I know how to fix it." And so he sets her up as dad, and he comes back. She says, "You want to try a little necrophilia?" Nothing yeah. about the real jail we've met or seen would say that, uh, but Terry Gilliam would. That yeah. Fucking weirdo. <laughs> uh,
0: what's interesting too about the movie is it, there's a little bit of Jaws going on because uh, they picked Kim Greased over like. 10 really famous actresses who all wanted this part. Good fucking choice, dude. But then I think the, she turned out to be terrible. And I think that you can see in this acting that she is not gelling with how the whole thing works. Not in the way that like Ian Holm, who, rest in power, just died. I uh, <laughs> he, he is, he absolutely understands what Brazil is all about in his acting, right? Like the first boss. I don't think Kim Grease does. And so they had to chop her out of the movie a ton. Like, just like You know, the shark is not working. And I think it may have helped where it makes it harder to know what is real Jill, what Mm -hmm. is fake Jill, and, you know, what is, you know, watching Sam's interactions more than Jill's.
1: I am a little surprised to hear that because I kind of did like her performance. I thought that... um It's like, especially when I felt, I guess like if I liked her performance, I felt like that was really supposed to be the person. And if I didn't, I thought it was supposed to be a projection. Mm -hmm. Um, So maybe then I'm just like making excuses for her, but there are a lot of moments where she brings her reactions to things going on, um, whether they be explosions or violence or like, you know, Sam is being carried away and she's trying to like hold on to him uh, while he's being dragged away. I felt like her reactions in those moments brought, um, a real immediacy to the pain and violence of that the, the authoritarian states do in a way that helped cut through the satire so that yeah. we, we remember that at the base of all of this, no matter how ridiculous it is, it's a ridiculously pain-inducing killing machine. Right. And right. so I, she reminds us of that in a lot of scenes.
0: I just think that, and maybe, Greg, this backs up your point or it negates it. And if it negates it, I'll give myself a point. But... Uh, <laughs> She is the actress who belongs in 1985 movies. Yeah. All the all the stuff that we've watched, and everybody else is in a Terry Gilliam movie, regardless of time. And it, it stands out, and I can see an argument for how that's perfect for Jill, but I don't think that Terry liked it and just butchered the shit out of her performance.
2: But I do think, yeah, I, I agree with Greg. What we got, she cuts through the cartoonery. Yeah. Always. And uh, as real short hair Jill, and then really kicks up the fantasy as breathy, long-haired Jill.
1: And I liked and, her whole, like, I'm a I'm a trucker. I'm a no-nonsense trucker. It nice. made her seem like the most, yeah, again, real person in the entire film.
2: Like, she's the only one. We, we see several terrorist attacks, and then the one where he thinks she did it. Uh, yeah. She's the only one reacting. Other than the people who are screaming and clawing, she's the only non-hurt person reacting, like, everybody just got blowed the fuck.
0: <laughs> all right, fine, then. You guys all like Jill, and <laughs> I didn't, so I'll ask you this in Revenge. Is this yet another movie of the year movie where we are focusing on the boring male instead of the interesting female?
1: Hell yes. Give me the Jill trucking across whatever country this is, wherever it is. She actually gets to- Jill,
0: Brajill. Jill. She
1: actually gets to leave the city. She goes places. Her truck is like a dream I had when I was a young boy. That is the coolest looking freaking truck ever. What kind of dream, Greg? Trucking dreams. The kind of dream that the president has when he sits in a big truck. It, it does
2: seem like George Miller watched Brazil, and when I can turn a yeah. whole movie into the one scene and just made <laughs> Fury Road,
0: yeah, same hairdo, right?
2: Yeah, she's Furiosa prototype for sure,
1: and also Ripley from Alien. Right. Mm -hmm. Like uh, industrial, badass, still like attractive or whatever, Um, gets things done, does not need to be saved. In fact, does the saving, does the slaying herself.
0: I find your treatment of me being a damsel in distress annoying Yeah, and get the fuck away from me. And you're doing just such a bad job. Like, just let me
1: save us. Don't like stamp your foot on the brake.
0: Is Charlize Theron's last name in Fury Road Rodiosa? Is her name Furiosa Rodiosa? Uh
1: huh. And
0: then she's what? gonna go
2: open a restaurant.
0: <laughs> Why don't we talk about that more? Right now, when we come back, only talking about that name. Sorry, Mike. Go ahead.
2: I, I you blanked me out. I, I was just I'm a I'm a perfect little panelist, and so I forget what I was about to say.
1: Mike is mentally already in the next segment. But I do. I, Where we talk
2: about Furiosa Rodiosa?
1: I have it. It is on a short list of the best trucks I've seen in movies, including the (laughs) Overdrive Green Goblin truck or the Feud truck. Remember the, what is it? Is it Feud or is it Dual? Dual. Dual, yeah. The Dual truck. Also a good truck.
2: Uh, I want to talk about the the shitty the boring retainer daughter for a second because he's, he like fantasizes about Jill and he thinks he's too good for this other person. But when they finally talk, she's like, I don't like you either. Yeah. And that's so real. Right. And like cuts through and was like, Oh, this is the real woman in your life. Also, yeah. he should be
1: so fucking lucky.
2: I know. Yeah. yeah. He
0: should be so fucking lucky. <laughs> and she was great at her uh, shifting from no one's looking at me. People uh-huh. are looking at me going from annoyed to like smiling. Here I am in polite society. Um, Okay, so then let's let's talk about Sam real quick before we go to speed around. Uh, Sam is the boring dude. And yes, we always get the movies about the boring dude and not the much more interesting chick. Uh, I do want to say, though, that Jonathan Price, doing I've never watched a more interesting, complex, dude. boring dude in mm-hmm. my entire life.
1: He, like, when you realize how many of these scenes are supposed to be really played for comedy... Even though the movie is so serious, so many of the lines are comedic. And you really watch the nuance and and how he's delivering a lot of these lines. And I'll give you an example. Uh, When the woman comes in to do the singing telegram... (laughs) <laughs> and his reaction to her, and then being like, "Oh, okay, I'm supposed to do my own now," and like <laughs> he starts to sing a little song, and you can see him thinking of it. Just really good work. Like, uh, I forgot that this guy existed as a young person because he mm-hmm. he's, he's now born you, old. He was born seventy. You literally have to put if you're going to make a movie or TV show now, you ha- you are obligated to put Jonathan Price in it. But mm-hmm. this comes from a time when you that was a choice that you could make, and it was a good choice. <laughs> 'Cause,
2: Cause this he's was, the high sparrow, right? In Game he, of Thrones. Yeah,
1: he is. And he's
2: this the, the actor
0: that made us root for Cersei. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Think about that shit. Uh yeah, the other one too, uh is we were talking about the girl with the retainer and how she bounces back and forth between, you know, uh she has an actual personality but also polite society. Uh Jonathan Price is bouncing back and forth between straight man who is our lens at how awful everything is and then also how he is our lands of how this is normal and he, he thinks this is normal and he kind of likes it his mm-hmm. conversation with uh the widow uh he has to like give her a check and oh yeah he, like he's just part of no matter this is far into the movie where uh, typically our protagonist would have been like already rebelling he's like yeah bitch i don't care just give like i like the paperwork you know i d- i do not care that your your husband died that's a, that's what was so great about him, you know, like his bouncing back and forth between straight men this way and straight man that way.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, this whole civilization in the movie and our civilization, because the movie is a trenchant cr- critique of us, uh, exists to separate people from death. And so it, the worst thing you'd ever have to do is actually go talk to somebody about death because all everyone's doing is pretending like the state is not killing everybody all the time. Right. And it's like gauche to even recognize <laughs> uh-huh. death. To be, like, screaming and wailing because you, you, the love of your life is dead, as, as uh, his wife does. That'll is, get you killed. Yeah. <laughs> it's a you know, like, Yeah. And that's, I mean, that's what grief looks like. And I find it upsetting in this movie. It reminded me. This movie reminded me of so many movies. It reminded me of Midsummer when Danny's family dies. Because mm-hmm. you don't see those depictions of grief very much. But that's what fucking grief looks like. It looks yeah. like wailing. It looks like throat-rending screaming. And we I, don't see it in movies that much.
2: He's he's not ready to deal with it there. It's later he starts to deal with like the consequences of rebellion because he's pretended it's only fun and heroic, but he sees like grief and violence is after he fucks up their truck drive and cops are literally on fire and like <laughs> innocent people on the sides yeah. are dying and his face is like, oh, I can't just fly away. It's not just glitz and glamour.
0: But he does though. He jumps out of the oh, truck like thinking he jumps- that he, he'll yeah. fly away. <laughs> it, just, it doesn't work. Mike. All right, guys. It's speed round. Are you ready? You do not have to say your name. I feel like I always have to remind you, you guys. Don't have to say your name after I'm done with the question. Just But can we? You can. Yeah. Just blurt out and answer the question. Under your rescue go. This movie has a Blade Runner-style fight over the final cut of the movie. One major change was that the studio demanded a happy ending, just like Mike getting a massage. Michael, is that true?
2: <laughs> no. Mike, is I think deba-
0: now is the time you have to
1: listen um, and really take stock in what's going on. I cannot believe there is a world in which this somebody wanted this movie to have a, a happy ending. There isn't. That is not possible here. Or the original ending is the happy ending, which is you just go blissfully insane, mm-hmm. and that's the, your the, ultimate your the freedom. They can never get you deep within your own madness.
0: Did you guys read about how what he did about this demand for happy ending? No. no. He was like, "Fuck you! I, I want it to be two hours, fifteen minutes," and they were like, "No, ninety minutes, happy ending." And so he. <laughs> He took it to colleges and film festivals, and it swept all the awards. Uh, <laughs> and, and then the studio was like, whoa, what the fuck do we do now? Very clever. What do you think would be the best tasting picture slash mush combo?
1: Probably that's the steak one. Uh, the- I'm
0: sorry, Greg. That is incorrect, Mike. Oh,
1: dang. Tuna Tatar?
0: I'm sorry, Mike, that isn't correct. Can you guys please call them by their proper names?
1: Oh, three. Number three. Number three. Number three. Greg, (laughs) you get the point. Shit.
0: (laughs) What do we make of Bob Hoskins and Derek O'Connor's central service employees? God damn it. There's so many uh, characters that we just don't have time to hit on. But these two, what do we think?
2: I think they're to show every. Everybody has their little fife thumb and will be cruel and overpowering with their own corner of bureaucracy. They do not need to be dickheads. They're just there to fix an AC. And they thrive and love that this guy maybe fixed his own so they could treat him
1: like dog shit. They're not even cops, but they fucking no. act like it's cops. cops. They're cops. Yeah. they just they have this power now. And I'm allowed to They can't this, not abuse it. Yeah, they just can't help it. And you know, I am sure there are some duct workers who don't act like that, but they're fucking bastards because every day yeah. they go to work next to these other fucking duct workers who are going into people's houses and fucking killing them there over their fucking ducts. And so no matter how good you are, you can't be a good duct worker if other people are acting the way Bob Hoskins and that other guy act in this movie. All that's why they deserve to drive bastards. and shit.
0: <laughs> and let's be fucking honest, I don't know who Derek O'Connor is, but he does have the exact body type of Luigi. There's no way the yeah. director of Super Mario Brothers didn't see this movie. <laughs>
2: This definitely got Hoskins Mario. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that guy killed it because usually in a duo, the smarter person is the more vicious person. In that duo, the dumber person is the more vicious person, and that's fucking frightening.
0: Do you know what else made them more, more dumb but also more vicious? The the bills on their hats yeah. were like yeah one and the half crazy times long bills. I, I hated that.
1: This movie never wants you to be comfortable with anything. <laughs> like even <laughs> something like that is so discomforting.
0: Brazil underrated nut, Greg. Greg yes
1: I don't, th- I don't okay Brazil nuts are too bi- first of all they're not highly rated nuts and I think that is appropriate so no they are not underrated they're too big and they're not they don't taste very good you don't want a nut that size
2: I, I think they are underrated because the amount of nutrients packed in those things grand them up put them in a smoothie or a Oh yogurt my bowl. god
1: oh Ryan come on man
0: <laughs> Mike <laughs> Does <laughs> ah, <fuck. laughs> Does this take the place of Die Hard as our new favorite Christmas movie and why I do, Well, <laughs> people do not talk about this
1: movie as a Christmas movie enough, but it it 100% is. And I think it says that Christmas is like a, the very kernel of what's wrong with with mm-hmm. us. Is Capitalism. Like, yeah, is best. Tuttle's a Santa Christmas. Claus
2: type. It's all there. Yes. Everybody's giving each other yeah. gifts they don't want or care about. They're Everyone. they're just weird little metal things that you don't I who knows what that is.
1: It's, you know what it is? It's a complex machine to help people make yes or no choices because in this society nobody can decide anything because the state decides everything. So people are so enervated by choice that they actually have to have this really complex mechanism that is essentially just like flipping a coin because it helps them decide what to do. Did you get that from this movie? Yeah, it's from from watching. That's why everyone keeps handing it to everybody else because that's what's going on in this movie is that people don't want to be in charge of making decisions for their own lives. They want to be babies, like those baby masks. That's because they want to be babies and they want State to be mommy and to tell them what...
0: (laughs) Yeah, the other thing too is that, like, uh, how hard it is to not hand somebody something, you know, when you walk in. Like, I have to give you something even though I know for a fact that you're going to put it in your trash can. Uh, I gotta give you something and they're all they're all just exchanging the exact same thing right? yeah yeah it's just it's, that same thing <laughs> this coin flipper um it uh, watching it it was like it was very clear that it's uh commenting on Christmas and then I was like, well yeah, you know retail they they live and die on christmas they they make like half or sixty percent of their all of their money during Christmas and then I thought wow, that's just a thing that you accept yeah like that's just a totally f- fine fact that you know and that don't have a problem with
1: <laughs> this weird reskinned pagan ritual is at the center of our economy
0: all right this is a big one with so many of our favorites represented here should we just launch someone to the pop filter hall of fame right now what the hell
1: what the hell is going on right now hell yeah can we do something like this? Okay, Jim Broadbent is in this movie. Ian Holm is in this movie. Obviously, Jonathan Price is in this he, movie. Fucking Ian Mona, Holm has died.
3: Mona,
0: Mona? from. Mona? <laughs> dude, do you want Mona <laughs> in the Hall of Fame?
1: <laughs> she kills it in this movie, dude.
2: Jim Broadbent plays the plastic surgeon, right? Yeah. Who might have a sexual relationship with the mother as well. Yeah.
0: And he's, he's Jonathan Downton.
1: Is that him? No.
0: Oh. I don't a th- different th- British person.
1: Yeah, I don't think so. Jim Broadbent was like he was in the Harry Potter movies. He's a uh, big bushy beard
0: from. He's in the you know the. Oh, the Ice really, King Greg? Bone the trilogy. that that British actor was in the Harry Potter movies. <laughs> Thank you for clearing <laughs> literally it up for every
2: Brit ever. They even brought some <laughs> back from the dead.
0: Uh, but wait,
1: I mean, there's there's more. There's even you know, Bob Hoskins, obviously, and and he's not the most recent to have died, but he's also dead. Um, Bob
0: Hoskins, I would almost be down for just because this is his second, yeah, Moody movie, uh-huh. and I don't know if you guys. Know this, but I'm a big fan of the first one that we did of his. He played. You uh, love
2: Hook, and you love his role as Shmee. I oh, love Shmee. He is
1: good as Shmee, dude. And he was in fucking Mermaids. We, Lightning. Th- this podcast, my brain does not rep for Mermaids enough. Got Winona Ryder, Cher, Bob Hoskins. that's a beautiful movie.
0: How many seasons of we would have, would we have to do of the year that Mermaids came out, where we would ever get to Mermaids?
1: I would keep my thumb firmly on the scale, Ryan, (laughs) until it happened. Okay, for me, it comes down to Michael Palin, Ian Holm, Jim
0: Broadbent. Oh, thanks for narrowing it down.
1: (laughs) Kim (laughs) Grice. Or or Bob Hoskins. I
0: thought you were going to say the truck for sure.
1: Or that truck. Or the truck from Maximum Overdrive in a rare exception. (laughs) (laughs) I,
0: I, I will say this. I think that Terry Gilliam... Has its faults. Uh, I have actually not seen the other two movies in the.
2: Imagination trilogy?
0: Imagination trilogy, uh, which are Time Bandits and Baron Munchausen. Uh, I am a huge, huge defender of 12 Monkeys. Uh, I don't know Monty Python that much, but Terry Gilliam, I can see, has sort of a road to the Hall of Fame.
2: Yeah, we just need to do our own homework. Everybody watch. Go home and watch the Imaginarium of no, Doctor Parnassus.
0: No, don't watch that one. But Time
1: Bandits, uh, Baron Munchausen. Oh, like I liked that one. You needed to grow up with those with with those movies. Maybe you needed to. But like this guy's catalog, it's there. The work is there. I think. And you and know, it, Monty Python, like, uh, and the Holy Grail, the Life of Brian. He's
2: the one American in the troop. That has to mean something. Well,
1: did he do is... something though? Did he like? Was he just? I feel like in the, maybe a year ago, his name got thrown onto the list of. Bad dudes, but I can't remember what for.
0: I'll look it up because we do have. We're not going to do the Hall of Fame like we used to do. Like we're we're not going to keep all of these assholes in there. Yeah, if you're if you're bad, then you're just going to get the boot.
1: Yeah, you get ejected automatically. <laughs>
0: we're going to take the bust and throw it right at your head. So all do you want to do it? What about Bobby D? I,
1: uh, Bobby D.
0: Bobby yeah, H? Uh, I'm sorry. You guys call him Robert De Niro. Robert. I call him Bobby D.
1: <laughs> Robert De Niro. This I don't know. This doesn't feel
0: like the movie that should get him there.
2: Yeah, this is his training day if he gets in here. That we should have done it earlier.
0: I don't feel strongly about anybody. I, I do have to do my Terry Gilliam homework, or for the guy who played uh, Jonathan Price's boss, I have to do my Ian homework. Uh, but Boom. I'm not sure. Uh, I don't nice. know. Mike, who do you think?
2: Bob Hoskins is where I'm leaning. I think this guy has guided me through my childhood and entire life and he's dead. So he can't do anything bad now. So he's a lock in.
1: You know, I think what we're feeling here is that this is like what a class of hall of famers looks like. And none of them is, is ready to step forward yet and be the guy. I just think that, you know, we talked about it. We like a lot of these people, but we don't hall of fame like any of these people. I don't think these guys, I don't think these people make the cut.
0: I would do Robert Hoskins right now though. Let's do it. Bob Hoskins. Oh, (laughs) shit.
2: (laughs) What a reversal.
0: Bob Hoskins, somehow, you are in the Hall of Fame for uh, being in two movie of the year movies. You starred in Who Framed Roger Rabbit. You uh, were a supporting character in Brazil. And we all think that you played. Has anybody seen Super Mario Brothers? I saw it a long time ago.
1: It's. It's like an upsetting movie. It's he so was banned. in it, though, right? Oh, yeah, he was. He was Mario Mario. All
0: right, he's in, but that means that whatever year that came out, I think it was 91, that's Re-backed. our Patreon show. <laughs> oh, dude, yes. I would love
1: to do 91. <laughs> As a year, 91. Mm, delicious, seminal.
0: All right, we're going to take a break. I'm going to uh, look at the scores so far, but the scores don't matter, guys, because we're going to hand out some awards.
3: haven't we? Yes, Jack. Until this all blows over, just stay away
0: from me. Oh, you heard that sound. That You know what that means? It's awards time, guys. The most prestigious part of the show. I uh, I didn't ask you guys to wear tuxedos or change your eyebrow rings into a nicer eyebrow ring. I just asked that you guys did 20 crunches before this. Did you guys do the crunches? So far in my life, I believe I have made it up to 20. That's pretty good. Yep. Mike?
2: I just I did flutter kicks because I've heard crunches aren't bad for you and that they're good for you and they're bad for you. So I was like, well, this will still work my lower core at least.
0: A lot like eggs. I feel like I spent my entire childhood finding out every other day eggs are good or bad for you.
2: I think the, the key is to have somebody hold a hard-boiled egg and just crunch into it and eat it the whole time. And then it'll all up. What,
1: what it out. is, Ryan, they're high in cholesterol, yes, but they're high <laughs> in the good type of cholesterol
0: schmolester yeah the good one all right we're here at the awards guys the first award is most dystopian detail this feels like a tough one to me there's a lot of dystopian details many of them we've talked about tonight mike what would you like to win the most dystopian detail
2: there's a bunch i want to talk about but first i'll talk about the one i actually want so i don't get dinged uh I think that the most horrific one is when they finally they're at that fancy restaurant where they're eating the mush, the, the numbered mush, uh and a terrorist attack goes off and the rich people keep eating and the restaurant just puts up like a paper wall so they don't have to see the people bleeding out and whimpering. privacy
0: screen. All right, so you did just talk about a bunch of them right there with your one, uh numbered mush that is a terrible future or <laughs> present or whatever Terry Gilliam will allow me to call this. Uh, but you want to talk about Paperball to like gu- to guard the bougies?
2: Yeah, and that the bougies just
1: keep eating through the attack.
0: All right, Greg? For me, this is
1: maybe a little bit of a stretch, but it's the general attitude of the people. Uh, like Whether the person is a doctor or a waiter or a duct repairman, uh, everybody is just so supercilious and authoritarian and you can't like uh, Sam can't go anywhere without being absolutely browbeaten by a lady on the street or mm-hmm. uh, like the, the the even the uh, waiter who works at the restaurant will like not let him get away with not saying the number and then finally gives in and says it himself and just this like these people all accept and remanufacture fascism in everything mm-hmm. they do in every asset every facet of their life they are just recreating the fascist state over duct recreating the fascist state over menus you know
0: which is the whole point of fascism right like you can't just do it by yourself you yeah, gotta talk yeah everybody else into it as well uh but yeah Mike, your spe- specificity and your right. which is gonna be awkward for the next award but uh, you're attaching it to today is perfect this is the next award is sort of the same but totally different it's, oh, shit, this is real life, colon, the award. Uh, what was the time where it made you think, oh, my God, this movie saw into the future and projected our dystopia? Greg, we'll start with you.
1: Last night, my wife uh, turned off uh, a light or turned on a light and a nearby outlet shoot out shot out fire. Uh, this was uh, like 8 p.m on a Friday night and a guy, we called an electrician and he came out to help us. He got to our place like eight 30. He opened up the outlet that the fire shot out of, and a bunch of wires came tumbling out of the outlet. <laughs> oh, and he was like, Oh, and some of these are like not supposed to be here. And this one is like smoking and smoldering. And it was exactly like when Tuttle comes over and opens up his panel and all <laughs> those wires just come popping out. I was so shocked that that happened in my real life.
0: So, Mike, I'm, I'm, like, I'm still trying to figure out how to host this show, and I just said to Greg that I liked your specificity. Beat that shit, dude. Yeah. <laughs> like, how, what are you going to do now?
2: Uh, I think there's a lot of stuff that would have been darkly funny, but still funny, that given the specific... Like, five years ago, it would have been different. Uh, it's hard not to think about, with the buttle-tuttle switch and somebody getting shot with their family at Christmas, uh, Brianna Taylor getting killed in her sleep because they had the wrong house. And goddamn, did they not? And the cops are saying, we don't make mistakes, and then just start shooting at a neighbor right after that because a neighbor made a loud noise near them. It's fucking horrific.
1: And you know they have those retrieval fees in the movie? Mm-hmm. I, I wouldn't be surprised if at some point like that household got charged for the ambulance coming to right. pick <laughs> oh, yeah, her up sure. and, and take her away.
0: <sighs> All right, that's... I guess it's got to be Mike. Uh, Mike, your cringiest moment.
2: The cringiest moment, fuck, I had it written down and it's not there anymore. So Greg will go while I think.
0: It's got to be,
1: there are literally no people of color in this movie. I watched this movie twice and the second time I was like, I'm going to be like scouring the background to try to find people of color. Usually they at least get some window dressing or something. This, The fact that this movie doesn't even uh, like go for tokenism makes me wonder, like, what's what's the point? Yeah. Like, what are we saying here? What is going on in this society or what's going on in this movie? It feels like the extent to which it's going on has to be a choice, and the movie never addresses it. And that awkwardness is cringe for days. It's the only – I think this is basically the perfect movie, and then the fact that it has no people of color in it is really, like, causing me a lot of pain. It, it, like, it's just it, – I find it very upsetting. It's It's very confusing to me.
2: And Jillian feels like the kind of guy who his age and demeanor, he would only get fucking furious if you asked him about that. He would not deal with that cool introspectively.
1: I think what he would say is that is not any part of my world vision or any part of my life, and so I don't try to represent it. And I think that's Which saying, is so more racist than yeah. saying, like, I don't like black people. But so. don't, you, don't you think that that's probably what... Like, yeah. if you answer truthfully, that's what he would say, is I have no idea what it's like to be black. And so I, I, I don't even want characters in the background of this movie to be black because I don't understand that part of life and it's just like that's a huge indictment thing, right? <laughs> <I> think, <laughs> yeah. You know,
0: that's awful. Gilliam, what the fuck? This is all coming out of your mouth in my brain. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we I'm are disgusted by you.
2: Uh, <laughs> mine was how Sam treats Mrs. Buttle yeah. Where he goes and he's doing a bare minimum of thing to make sure she gets the money, and then is furious he's not given an attaboy. He's not. She's not thankful. She's just upset that her husband. You know, dead. we don't really
1: do this that much, so it's pretty unorthodox of me to come out here.
2: And man, he's such a he's like, I didn't need to do this. Like, well, I can't believe you're being <laughs> like, oh, and that's when you go, oh, I don't think this movie is going to be one that has a hero.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think that is exactly. Uh, that's the scene where you're like, I just I don't know how to feel about Sam at all. But the people of color thing we gotta okay. do. Greg, I'm gonna go to you for the next one because Mike's probably not prepared. I'm the prepared next one is, uh director's signature moment. Okay. Uh Terry Gilliam has not been discussed on Movie of the Year yet. This is his first one. Um but Time Bandits, Baron Munchausen, uh Twelve Monkeys. If you can figure out like how he was a part of Monty Python, we do have some semblance of like the kind of person that he is what do you think was like his up? Oh, oh, that's gilliam
1: yeah i mean it, you don't want to be the guy who says like oh well it's just this feel of the movie and so i'm trying to like i was trying to watch it i'm trying to like dissect well what is the feel okay obviously it's absurd it's fabulous it's magical realism and i realized oh, the way he's imparting it a lot is the way he's using and i don't understand this totally but focal depth um he enters into dreamlike focus in a lot of scenes in which the focal center like, the center is held in focus, but the periphery is very out of focus. So much that it looks like something is smeared on the lens or something like that. Mm-hmm. And this gives a really dreamlike, ethereal feeling to all this. And then there's other times where he goes hyper-focused. The scene where he's talking to, to um, Buttle's widow, um, he, her face is in the foreground, held in perfect focus with his body in the background. And so you, it's not, like... It's not that he doesn't understand focus or whatever. He understands masterfully how to use focus to impart different levels of reality into the scene, and you get a lot of like these kind of like blurry edges that make you feel like is this a Was this a dream? Is this an an imaginary scape that I'm in right now, or, or something
0: like that? And this is <laughs> and this is coming right at the time where deep focus is all the rage. Like you don't you want everything to be in focus, yeah. and for him to do the first thing that you said of uh, sort of blur the edges or really only focus on one part is like, is actually a much more subtle way of like doing the Iris, like uh-huh. the, yeah, uh, without making it seem like a Keystone cops movie. Yeah, from the totally, 30s. Dude. But like the whole point is to guide the eye. Right. Yeah. And that's what he's doing when he wants to though. Yeah. It's the, it's the control over it. It's yeah. the, we know that we're in the hands of a master and not somebody who's just like, uh, I don't know over
1: there. It's hard to focus. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Mike.
2: Yeah, I have the distorted lenses and angles. Is he? So I think s- same thing is said in a different way. The shapes that the people's faces and noses are so huge because he'll he'll the camera itself is weird, and then he puts magnifying glasses in front of them, so yeah. everything is kind of unsettled all the time. I had to go and look up to see if he directed the Little Prince movie from the '70s, but he did not because that movie is littered with this shit. Uh, it's it's just always off putting and weird.
0: I have to do something stupid. Sorry, guys. Mike. But stupid. What, weird. You guys are hitting on something that we didn't get a chance to talk about because I think it's clear that he is, it's not just specific references to movies and text that he's using, but he's just referencing movies. He is <laughs> tricking you into, you don't understand your knowledge of movies when you watch this, but you actually do, and he knows that you do. And he is using all of that shit to his advantage, you know? So like you think that you're not a film student, but the way that he moves the camera, puts the camera, puts the focus, it's all this like vocabulary that has been built up over a century of movie making, but without doing it, like, Hey, look at, look at me, I know what I'm doing, do you know what I'm doing? Mm-hmm. And when he I
1: draws think... when he draws our attention to that, we realize we have this vocabulary that we didn't set out to have built up in us, but was built up in us and comes with all these expectations that he can play with or not, and that's right. he's making, he's leveling those, so cl- th- those same claims at, like, the state and at political power, that we are made up of this vocabulary of things that we don't understand until we're a part of them, and then we are, like, pulled into a world and so, like, he reminds us of that artistically by showing it in the movie.
0: And then when we get to the nineties, we have directors who watched all the movies before Brazil and then watch Brazil and then can't help, but like wink at like, look, do you see what I'm doing? And he uses all the vocab without doing that. And that is one of the most, if not the most impressive things about the movie.
1: Very disciplined in that way.
0: All right, Mikey, this is the one, this is the big one of the night pound for pound performance. And I would say this is the hardest movie we have ever had to do yeah. for this award.
2: It it is not easy. Uh we have not talked about this role much, but this guy I think was always one of my favorites in the Python crew and I think banality of evil is the phrase that I, I'm going to take away from this show and think about all the time and I think Michael Palin fucking embodies it so well as Sam's like childhood friend Jack who is now just a little better than Sam and is such a piece of shit of it before we find out he's a torturer. And he's still like complaining about paperwork and how could you do this to me? We go way back while he's torturing Sam. Uh, And it's not like scene chewing. Like it's so like a guy just bummed about his work and uh, it's it's crazy good.
1: The line where he's like, Sam, we've always been close, right? And Sam's like, Sam's in a lot of trouble. And he's like, yeah. And he's like, well, you're in a lot of trouble, so maybe steer clear of me for a while. Yes, And then he just smiles and walks off, like, so cocksure.
0: But, like, there's no absurdism. There's no, like, oh, and also I walk goofy because I was also in Monty Python. Uh, The haircut, like, it's just a handsome guy. And you you would always think that in Monty Python, there were zero handsome guys. It's just a guy who accepted how the world worked and then shot to the top because of it. Yeah. As something that uh, Sam refuses to do, yeah. I don't like this is the, one of the best Monty Python. If we spread Monty Python across all pop culture performances of all time, Greg, what do you got? Uh,
1: if this movie makes it almost impossible. I mean that that's a that's a perfect answer there. Um, Mona from Who's the Boss? Mona, uh, oh, no. the, the mom character, um, Broadbent, Home, both do amazing jobs. The guy that is in the office next to him.
3: Uh, like, oh, yeah, <laughs> guess
1: you could say computers are my forte he does an amazing turn like everybody is basically coming in and all of them in their small performances deliver so much that you have a lot of people who could possibly be but it's jonathan price uh that so much is asked of this guy in, in this movie right. and he's doing it over and over and over again the physical comedy uh, that's not something I remembered that much from the original movie but th- this or from the first time I, I saw the movie but he is like a cartoon character a lot of the movie is a cartoon basically and he's like a cartoon character he can do the slapstick he can do serious he can do anguished uh, I didn't even know that this was the guy in this movie until I watched it this time and remember him you know, as the high sparrow now um, but yeah I just I was blown away by this performance and everybody takes a run at him but I think he's the one, he's king of the mountain for this one.
0: Yeah, you always hear stories of people who, like, are the Jason Bateman to the rest of the Bluths and how much that sucked, you know, to watch everybody have all this fun. And I don't get that from him. Like, I think that he's just having fun in a very different way where, you know what, the straight man can and will be interesting. And when they're over there hogging the spotlight, I'll be over here doing stuff as well.
1: Remember when uh, Palin says to him... um, he t- says so like I'll tell the kids, and he's like the twins, and he's like triplets. And He says, "Is it three already?"
0: Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> no, he's like, "Is that like, yeah?" Time moves so fast. Like yeah. I can't believe. How-
1: <laughs> and then later, later in his uh, office, one of the triplets there. It, Holly is there, and Sam says uh, to his friend, uh, "Is that one of the triplets?" And his friend goes, "I think it is." <laughs> <laughs> I,
0: I I would say that uh, Jonathan Price was the definite slam dunk for this award. But if one of you said that triplet. She was adorable. <laughs> that probably could have won.
1: I won't look at y'all, Willie. Really.
0: <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> All right, guys. So, those are the awards that Brazil gets. I actually think that this did win Oscars, believe it or not. Or it was nominated. It was nominated for like, set direction and script, but it probably didn't win. It's too crazy for the Oscars, man. It, it's Oscars too don't good understand. a movie. <laughs> I think Green Book won instead of this movie in oh, 1995. All right. When we come back, guys, I have the scores, and we're going to go over exactly how we think this movie is going to do in the future. No, it's not the future. It's the present. It's a pastiche. (laughs) Hey, guys, real quick, before we get back to the rest of the show, I just wanted to tell you about YourPopFilter.com. Go to that website to get everything that is Pop Filter: all of our podcasts, all of our articles, all of our secrets. Everything is on YourPopFilter.com. While you're there, go to yourpopfilter.com slash Amazon, and if you make that your new Amazon bookmark, then you can help Amazon less and us more, and isn't that what we all want to do in the world? Some of those podcasts that you can get on the website or in Apple Podcasts or Stitcher or wherever you get your shows uh, include the Superhero Hour Hour, where Cassie, Mike, and I discuss every single TV show based on a comic book, and the OCD where Mike and I discuss every episode of the OCD. And then, of course, Movie of the Year, where Greg, Mike, and I try to figure out what is the single greatest movie of any given year. So make sure you're downloading all of those shows. Leave a review. Leave a star rating. Leave a podcast. If you have an idea for an episode, just record it and email it to us, and we'll probably put it on the air. Thanks. Bye. All right, gentlemen. It is that time of the show where I have to uh, tell one of you that you are my best friend. And you know what? I'm not going to say the other one is my second best friend. The other one's my fucking arch enemy.
1: <laughs> oh, shit.
0: And we will act like that for an entire week. A lot of crossbows. I feel like uh, if, you're, if you have an arch enemy, you should have a crossbow and they should have a crossbow. Mm-hmm. And then just uh-huh. see what happens.
2: Maybe a spiked log that just flies out hanging on vines and almost takes your head off.
0: Of course. Yes, a lot of uh, traps, you know, like yeah. a lot of You step
1: on a stone and then like shoots poison darts at you.
0: Yeah, step on a stone, break your mother's bone, a lot of <laughs> stuff like that. Um in third place was me with 4 points and I got to that might Ugh. set the record for yeah. the amount of points that a host has ever gotten.
1: I, still, I by a lot, place. I think.
0: <laughs> uh Mike you had 29 points. Mm. Do you think that's uh, winning or losing?
2: It's it's a serviceable amount of points, but I I, I don't know. It feels like Usually a losing score, it Ryan. Feels like a losing score. Feels probably. like a losing
1: score, Ryan.
0: Well, I'm gonna interrupt Greg's talk and give you another point, Mike, because he interrupted you. <laughs> so you have you have 30 points, but Greg had 36.
2: Yeah, <laughs> shit.
1: I knew what the yes no machine was. So
2: yeah, that man. I, I, I that's when I felt it. I felt myself losing when you went off about the yes no machine. I was like, oh fuck.
0: And, I didn't care about the yes-no machine. It's f- oh, okay, Greg, whatever. But, Mike, you were so enamored that then <laughs> DropPad heard you and just started giving him points as hard as it could.
2: Yeah, I, re- I really do think Greg primed primed the Drop Pad in the beginning of saying, to really get and talk about this movie, you have to have seen it more than once. And the DropPad was like, <laughs> I mean, I was going to give them a fair shake, but I guess
3: not.
0: Also that, yeah, I would say next time, Mike say, like, uh, the only way to win the to, like, know the movie is to, like, be fat. And then you're totally going <laughs> to win over Greg. <laughs> Guys, can I say something crazy? Say it, Ryan. Hold on. Let me uh, let me pump myself up for this.
3: <laughs>
0: also, I did not get a chance to use this, but check this one out. X-Chicken. That's a... Uh, X-Chicken? That's a Magneto insult to the X-Men. X-Chicken. <laughs> I'm not sure if... This is not just the best movie of 1985. I'm. I think that this is the best movie that we have ever reviewed on Movie of the Year. We're like yeah. 110 movies in, and I'm pretty sure this is it.
1: Yeah, I totally agree, dude. Like, yeah, I don't <laughs> think that's absurd. I uh, I think it blows away every other movie of the year winner, and so then I guess by it's the de facto champion this year. Oh, is... yeah. Well I I mean we still have
0: more movies to watch from nineteen eighty five. And
1: maybe one of them maybe one of them will do it, but I was not expecting this really. Mm -hmm. I mean I expected to really like it, but I didn't expect first of all I didn't I didn't expect when I initially thought to myself, I think this might be the best movie we ever reviewed and I didn't think anybody else was gonna feel that way and it kind of feels like instead we're three for three. We all feel, well, that which, way. yeah, it's
2: undeniable. But I mean, you're right. We have more movies at 85. Goonies never say die. Let's not sleep on it. That could take <laughs> all of it down. Uh, but you,
0: uh, but I will say that, like, watching it, way. watching a movie for movie of the year, it really does change. Like, you really, I'm going to watch this so hard. But there's this other thing, too, that where, like, I also know that, like, Greg and Mike are watching this so hard. Yeah. And so <laughs> I, I think about it, especially as a defender of this movie. Like, uh, there's a lot of offenders that I have to defend against. But I. Uh, <laughs> like something will happen i'll be like oh this is stupid they're gonna hate it and then right away brazil just comes back and it's like fuck that fuck you i'm the best get out of here
1: <laughs> i watched it twice just for this show and now that we're done honestly i'm so excited about it i feel like i'm gonna watch it again in the next couple of days just because like it's so much happens in it and it moves so quickly like it's hard to savor any one moment but it is made up of like every single scene deserves to be savored. Like all the different Mm -hmm. facial expressions. I, I have a bad habit of like getting distracted and looking away from movies. You can't look away from this movie for one second. Like you really can't, like you will miss such important parts.
2: There's crazy, not just in the, what the actors are doing, but the backgrounds, like this guy, (laughs) all of his movies are visually sumptuous, but, uh, and how gross they look, but all of the count, all the different fucking propaganda, be safe, be suspicious Uh posters. Like all of those are so creepy. Uh, it's just not not one part had no thought in it. There's a better way to say that. He thinks about literally everything on the screen.
1: One of the posters says, "They work so we can dream." I think what? that's interesting against like the the background of the the dream imagery. Mm-hmm.
0: One of them is like uh, being suspicious is courageous. Like it should not bother you to be suspicious. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's so fucked up. Uh <laughs> But this is not a normal season, though. That's the problem. Is that if we only had Goonies and Breakfast Clubs for the rest of the season, then I would I would shut it down now and we'd go to the finale. Let's just
2: not watch them. But the <laughs> fact
0: the fact that we have uh, Machima and Come yeah. and See in this season, yeah. I don't know what to make of this. You know, I mean,
1: we Brazil blindsided us, and I don't think I don't think we can say that those other two movies aren't going to do that. Like I, it's like. This this whole year just became a lot more exciting to me because no matter what, I feel like we're gonna have one of the greatest movies ever as the the winner for this year. Because either it's gonna be this movie, which we think is better than all the other ones, or we have this still to come with one of these other ones. Better mm-hmm. movie than this, and <laughs> then, Ran, then I can, dude. We have oh Ran yeah, still? we have
0: we have Kurosawa coming up on this season of 1985, and then I can also see. Not to like, this is a compliment to the three of us, not an insult. That be just, in the, in the heat of the finale, say, like, you know what, though? Back to the Future is a perfect movie, <laughs> and it's so 1985, you know? like yeah. there's, I think it's a heated competition. <sighs> All right, guys. Next week, we're going to take a break from talking about movies. We are going to go over the music of 85. We are going to call in some friends, some ringers, and we're going to put together the perfect 1985 mixtape. Are they, are you they...
1: don't know how time works. Yeah, that's crazy. You're going back in how time. Can... <laughs> is, we 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 to. Time. We put that episode out like three weeks ago already, dude.
0: I know, but like as of this recording, though. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, that's, they, so that's not they, what I'm they, supposed to do.
2: Yeah, timestamp <laughs> when we record and how many weeks ahead we are. I love that. <laughs> I'm right. leaving
1: this in. I'm not taking this. Out. Yeah, <laughs> no, no. You no.
2: guys loved. Caitlin and Cassie from the <laughs> Natural Twenties on that show a few weeks ago, right? Check out their show on Natural Twenties. Pro-
0: Producer Dave, I'm sure that you will fucking get rid of this.
2: <laughs> no, Dave, leave it in.
0: And then, of course, next week is the Breakfast Club, where we will I- discuss my mix-up about mixtape and <laughs> really, really, really hammer home on the mistake I made. Jesus a- Christ!
2: Hey, hey, hey!
1: I'm looking forward to this movie, dude. Like, I, now, at, after right after Brazil, I don't think it stands any sort of chance. But it is a good movie, and I think it's well written. And I, I feel like there's going to be a lot there, a lot of a lot of stuff to talk about.
2: And I'm glad one movie has to like mouthwash for us, uh, so we we can eat the next thing, right? And I'm glad it's Breakfast Club. We all like it, but it was never going to win. So let's do that. I got to yeah. say,
0: Sam Lowry at any at no point in Brazil put lipstick in his tits and then put it on her lips so uh-huh. that's what we have next week for my best friend greg i am ryan for my arch enemy
2: i'll fucking kill you
0: mike grab <laughs> grab a crossbow bud because this next week's about two. to get insane i'm ryan that was movie of the year good job brazil and as always keep watching them movies